The Athletic. It is seen by a lot of people as this sort of managerial graveyard. Conversations again and again over the last couple of months is people saying things like, yeah, but, you know, for a lot of managers, they're looking at it thinking, look what it did to Mourinho and Conte. Hello once again and welcome yet again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly. I'm joined today, both from The Athletic, of course, by Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. We were supposed to have a third First of all, good hello, good afternoon, Jack, and hello, and good afternoon, Charlie. Hi. Hello, Danny. Again, they are the real people and not impressions perfected by Charlie Eccleshare of my voice um, and Jack's. We were supposed to have a fourth person on the podcast today, um, a gentleman called Nick Miller, who um, knows all about Dutch football um, and was going to tell us all about the new Spurs manager, Arna Slot. I should make the point, uh, two points here. One, that I'd researched Nick Miller because I don't know him, and I'm glad to see that he is not the Nick Miller, who is the drummer in certain Midwestern death metal groups in America. I know we're back to death metal now. One of whom's name is controversial enough that I don't really want to say it on a podcast, and whose records are so disgusting that I wouldn't want to put you in their general direction anyway. You can look it up for yourselves. And of course, those of you, I mean, Jack was with me on the previous podcast, or the previous View from the Lane, and... I said I was not researching any of these new managers or managerial candidates, nominees, names, straws in the wind. Foolishly, both of you, and I know you're going to have no sympathy for me and the world's most petite Stradivarius will be coming out soon because I know how much work you've done. Last night and this morning, yes, this morning, before I had a shower, I was looking up Arna Slot, seeing that his name is, name his wife's name is Miriam. I know that his house cost $1.15 million. Um, Euros in the middle of Zvola, the town for which he played for both the teams, Zvola and Pek Zvola, to not be confused with each other. Um, I've done all that, and then I, I literally opened one eye to look at my my at my phone, and he's staying at Feyenoord. I shouldn't have done that, um, and we'll look at that next here on the on the episode. And um, we'll also got plenty more to do here on the View from Lane, including asking Charlie and Jack, who are brilliant on this podcast, if they won't mind me saying that. What it's like to work so intensely with a club, uh, you know, around a club like Spurs and on this podcast while not actually being Spurs fans. But let's start with Arna Slot. And I dare say the very small violins uh, um, would be out, Charlie, because I know, I know you and Jack, but you in particular have been um, slaving over hot Arna Slot copy. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, having written a piece that's about 4,000 words over the last couple oh. of days on, on Arna Slot and. <laughs> Everything he'd bring to the club and why he'd be such a good fit, um, you know, conversations with various people, put quite a lot of work into it. When I saw that it wasn't going to happen, I was not best pleased. Um, but yeah, up it goes to articles that haven't been published. Heaven up there with James Horcastle's 2021 profile of Paolo Fonseca, the soon-to-be Spurs manager, or my piece in January of last year about Adama Traore and what he'd bring as a wingback uh, to Conte's system. So. Yep, R.I.P. Uh, to those pieces. I, I, I was pretty upset as well because I did think he'd be a good appointment. And also, I think for everyone, just felt, you know, then it's an end to the search and we can all move on with our lives. Um, but yeah, I'm sure all Tottenham fans are feeling just as frustrated, if not more, the fact that on we go. Jack, um, do, have you done a lot of work on this? And if in, in any case, can you tell us what do we think's happened? Has, has 
uh, on a slot and his people just use Spurs to get a pay rise? Well, there's a few competing theories on this at the moment. Um, as ever, in the, you know, sometimes you get situations where a manager will flirt with another club to make himself some more money at home. That's a very common. That's a very common thing in football. Uh, it might be that on a slot has, you know, decided for football reasons that he would rather he would rather stay at final than come to Tottenham. Um, you know, it's all. It's. I have to say, it's a little bit unclear at the moment. Only a, a few hours after the announcement, where what exactly has caused this this um this breakdown but clearly i mean clearly it is a breakdown because it was uh you know yesterday the expectation was that slot would be the next tottenham manager you know there's no there could be no doubting the fact that this was expected to happen and clearly things have gone in such a way over the last 24 hours that it's now not going to happen we'll get on to what this says about spurs in just a second they do seem to have fed a line um or sky have dug up a line sky i mean even as i speak i mean i'm i'm really slightly worried about saying anything because events have consistently overtaken this podcast over the last uh, 18 months. I know we've won all the awards and people have been very kind about it and more and more people are listening to it. Um, but we are famous for being, being in mid-sentence when something else happens. But I noticed that Sky are saying, uh, uh, wherever they got this from, that it, it's broken down between the clubs over the payout for, for you know the, the release clause. Yeah, I think that's, that that is quite complicated, and there there've been conflicting reports about buyouts and that sort of thing. Um, the understanding was that it wouldn't be till next season that he had uh, next summer that he had twenty twenty four. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, Feyenoord would have been. I know they were aware of you know the amount co- big compensations that were paid, say to uh, Brighton for Graham Potter, or when Bayern Munich hired Julian Nagelsmann. So you know, they were aware they had a a very um, in-demand manager, I suppose. But I, 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 you know, we're coming to it so fresh. The the exact details of that will probably come out in the fullness of time. But how, however it's played out, Spurs are now, I want to say back to square one. I don't know how the squaring system works. You never really hear about anything beyond square one. Maybe they are a bit beyond that, but they're not, you know, that he was who... It's, it's just the square one thing comes from uh, from the game of snakes and ladders, and I suspect ah. um, Spurs are now in the last two managerial hunts have been playing on a snakes and ladders board where there's only one ladder and about fifty snakes, so all of them leading back to square one. Yeah, snakes and ladders does feel like quite an appropriate uh, metaphor, I suppose. For that's why I'm on the massive bucks, Charlie. Yeah, exactly, and just the knowledge that that, that, that <laughs> specifically that that's where I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge blow. You know that there aren't many managers. Um, who fit the bill of what they're looking for. There aren't many managers available. There aren't many managers who necessarily want the job because they might be in other jobs um, that they want to stick with. And that's what's happened ultimately here. I mean, that's what his statement said anyway. But within that, clearly, there'll be a big disappointment and a big concern. And and again, it's hard to say because we don't know the exact financial details that they weren't able to... Suppose they're a massive club in the Premier League. And you would think a guy who's only been managing for four years and in the Eredivisie, which is not normally held up as being as prestigious as the Premier League that they weren't able to get him. You not know, he would normally, have looked... never. Yeah. Let's not beat around the bush here, never. Well, Ajax in the mid-90s, I mean, I guess the league then wouldn't have been, or or in their other golden age periods for those screaming, uh, football existed for the 90s, etc. Um, but yeah, you know, that would have been, I think most people would have looked at that and been like, that is a deal 
that should be doable, but it hasn't proven to be the case. In this case, anyway. Particularly if you look at the context of, say, Lopetegui going to Wolves or Emery yeah, going yeah, to Villa. Like the one thing, like we, we've become really, really used to this idea that if Premier League clubs click their fingers, they can get almost any manager in the world. And to be honest, this has been especially true of Tottenham because Tottenham, have, you know, to- two of Tottenham's last three managerial appointments have been super, like super, super, superstars um, in Mourinho and Conte. And so the assumption, were, and clearly they're not going down this, or they didn't want to go down that route this time. They wanted to go for a more, you know, a, a younger, more ambitious candidate who maybe hasn't achieved so much yet, but could give Tottenham a bigger chance to improve over the years, like Slot. But the idea that Slot would say no, I genuinely think never occurred to anyone. It never occurred to anyone that Slot might say, might choose not to come to Tottenham uh, and stay at Feyenoord instead, if that is indeed what has happened. I tell you who definitely didn't think it was he was going to turn Spurs down, and who if I've I've got a little bit of sympathy for myself doing overnight research, a great deal of sympathy for you two having to get chunky pieces together that will no longer see the light of day. But my great sympathy rests with Rude Van Nistelrooy, who's walked out of power out of PSV. I presume, assuming that he will be the next manager of Feyenoord, <laughs> he may have to reverse the company car back into the car park um, at PSV and Eindhoven and say, ah. That row we had, that seems to be something and nothing now because it, I presumed he'd just up to, uh, uh, you know, got on his hind legs uh, to go to Feyenoord and now there's no gig for him. It was like Harold Macmillan resigning as Prime Minister and that because he thought he was seriously ill and then it turned out he wasn't. Yeah, it's cold, yeah. It's so, cold. So, sort of gone too far. I'm like, oh, actually, can I, can I have my job back? <laughs> um, Jack, but all joking aside, there'll be Spurs fans today who listen to what you say and, of course, what you say is the background, I mean, of, of the world's great coaches arriving at the, at the click of a fingers, as you describe it, in the Premier League. That has been the last turn of the wheel that has turned the Premier League into the all-conquering, all-dominant um, force that we see today. First, it was just the money. Then the money brought the players, and we still had all the players and stuck with largely British or foreign coaches who'd been in, in Britain for a long time. And it's only the absolute recognition that you had to pay the top coaches in the world as well. That was the final piece in the jigsaw that has taken the Premier League out of the reaches of the likes of, of, of Serie A um, and La Liga. But what does it say? You could add, and there'll be people saying this on Twitter, let's be honest, uh, and to each other in, on, uh, in phone messages and WhatsApps. What does it say about Spurs and Daniel Levy if they cannot get the manager of the third biggest club in the Netherlands, because that's what that's what they are currently final, and that's what they always were, perhaps, even though they won the Champions League before Ajax did, um, to come to, as you say, a huge club in London with a massive stadium, with Harry Kane still on the books. What does it say? Well, well Jack and I have written a piece this morning looking at why answering some of those questions well them and plenty more asking how is it that for the second time in three years Tottenham one of the supposedly big six of by far the richest league in the world find themselves in this position and it's um I mean there there isn't just one answer but I but I do think you have to accept because the evidence is incontrovertible that it's, it's just not attractive enough at the moment and I think there are a lot of reasons for. And look, we we make the piece the point uh, at the start of the piece that Spurs still has tons going for it. You know, suffice it to say, amazing stadium, amazing training ground, great history, 
um, great support, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, great podcast attached to it. Brilliant podcast. But I think, you know, there are many issues, but one of them is it is seen by a lot of people as this sort of managerial graveyard. And something that's come up, I was saying this to Jack earlier, and, and I mentioned in the piece that conversations again and again over the last couple of months is people saying things like, yeah, but, you know, for a lot of managers, they're looking at it thinking, look what it did to Mourinho and Conte. And a lot of people will say, yeah, but that was them. Conte and Mourinho were terrible. But they're very, very well respected in coaching circles. They've achieved a huge amount in their careers. And as much as we didn't like hearing it, they have largely been successful everywhere else they've been. For managers, look, for prospective managers looking in, that does raise concerns. Think as well, Conte, the last thing he did, and again, whether you agree with him or not, he said this team was basically unmanageable. And he absolutely torched the building as he left. Some of those things he said were way over the top and self-serving. But it doesn't make it much easier when you're trying to sell the club to someone when their predecessor has said all that he did say. And I just think the sense of it is that it is a great club. People, of course, they acknowledge that. But it's littered with huge problems at the moment. Throw in the fact that you mentioned Harry Kane. Yes, they have Harry Kane. Is he going to be there in a year or, or at the start of the season? I wonder whether managers will have looked at what's happened at Tottenham in the last few years. I, I know for a fact that some managers have thought this, who have been in the mix for the job, have looked at the situation at Tottenham and thought, well, Mourinho did Mourinho did eight, 17 months there and he well, he couldn't get them into the top four and then he, he got them to a cup final he was sacked a few days be before. Conte went there, did his 17 months. He got them to finish fourth place the first season in his kind of first half season and then was sacked the following season and these are two of the best managers of the of their generation and i know i know there's lots of stuff you can criticize Conte Mourinho for which we have criticized them for at great length over the last few years so i'm not i'm not defending they them, are irrefutably they, the, top managers great managers yeah, yeah. yeah or they have been great managers um and so managers have looked at this and thought well if that's the ceiling then what what's the point of me going there because if that suggests that there's only so much you can achieve at Tottenham, then that then that is a bit of a worry for me. And I, you can see that if you go back to the fa the infamous Conte rant at Southampton, which you know his last act as manager, he had a line in there which kind of got a, a bit lost at the time in amongst everything else. But he said, "quote I have seen the managers that Tottenham had on the bench, which meant I know that." not only am I a great manager, but the great managers have gone before me here and have not achieved anything or have not achieved as much as they wanted. And clearly the point that Conte was making is that there are structural or there are kind of behavioural issues at Tottenham which stop the team from being successful. And whoever you might have as manager at that given point is kind of irrelevant really because they can't, you know, the, the situation is beyond fixing. And I, I just wonder whether more and more managers are looking at the situation thinking, actually, it's tough. It's going to be really, really tough. And the problem is that this becomes, this becomes kind of, um, I've got the word I'm looking for here. Like, yeah, self-perpetuating, exactly. Like the more that, if one manager thinks it, it only increases the possibility that more other managers w will think the same thing. And that, I kind of worry that Tottenham might be heading into that cycle. Think as well of, think as well, Danny, like the level of uncertainty there is at Spurs there's not a director of football we've spoken before about how big a thing that is I mentioned there the Kane issue they don't know if they're going to be in Europe next season and if they don't know if they're going to be in Europe next season they don't know what the transfer budget's going to be so there, there are so many questions if, if you are a prospective candidate that just can't be answered right now 
And that's really difficult. If you're if you're a manager, especially if you're on a slot and you've built this amazing thing at Feyenoord over two years and you've got the chance to manage in the Champions League, it should take something fairly special to persuade you to to ditch all that, everything that you've worked for and built up. And I guess, and, and we don't know exactly how it's played out, but that that is going to be harder when you're, you're selling him a vision. Okay, so sell me this vision. Who's the director of football? Yeah, not sure about that just yet. Okay, well, where, where do you see us next season? Are we going to be in this competition? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if we're in Europe. Who are we going to buy? Don't know what the budget's going to be. That's hard. That that's going, that is going to put you in a, in a weaker position when you're trying to sell the club. And also, not to mention the fact that this, you will be, whoever the new head coach is will be the fifth different manager in five consecutive summers. Just going back to that manager's graveyard thing, that doesn't speak to an environment that's particularly stable. And you know you've got an enormous rebuild. Enormous. And such a bloated squad, which if they're not in Europe as well, means you're going to spend as much of your, if not more of your summer trying to sell players as you are bring them in. Yeah, I mean, listen, all these things are right. and uh, uh, But in, in defence of the club, and, uh, and not to push back against either of you two, because uh, you're too nice for that, Um but you, you both used the phrase selling the club to Arna Slot. That, my friends, is the tail wagging the dog. Arna Slot has, has won a title in, in, in the Eredivisie. Congratulations to him. And they played some decent football as well and got on the front foot. And I think he might have made a very good manager for Spurs. But the idea that Spurs have to sell themselves to Arna Slot and not the other way around is ludicrous. It is a sign of an industry gone on its arse. It's upside down. It's through the looking glass. Um, and I'm telling you now, even with all those all those um, issues that you quite rightly point out there, Charlie, there will be plenty of good managers who, who will want to take on the task of being the manager of Tottenham Osper. And what's, what's more about it is that the kind of people who are likely to be successful at it are not going to be daunted by the fact that, oh, they've got too many wing-backs and I want to play with a back four. Most of the great football managers are egomaniacs and they will not see the problems. They will just see that, I'll, I'll fix this, I'll fix it tomorrow. Now, of course, half of them are useless, but they, you, know, you mustn't, we mustn't, um, you know, we mustn't get run away that anybody could do this, but it is doable. I think Tottenham do need to sell themselves to candidates. Slot is at a position of high opportunity in his career at the moment. He's just he's just won Eredivisie, uh, Feyenoord's second Dutch title this century. He's his next move is going to be hugely hugely important for his career, and I'm sure like it would be only natural if he was thinking, what what sort of job might I take might I leave Feyenoord for? Because I've got to leave it for the right one. And that means he'll be thinking, I'm sure he'll be thinking first Premier League. He'll be looking at all the teams who might be able to compete in the Premier League or who might be able to offer him the chance for a bit, you know, to kind of uh, have a go. I'm sure he'd be thinking, I mean, is there anything else that I might do in Germany? Might he get Bayern? Might he get Dortmund? Might he get another, you know, I, I don't know, RB Leipzig? Or might he, you know, he might be looking at France or, or other options around. And he will be, I'm sure that the number one thing he'll be thinking is, I've got to make my next move the right one to make sure my career keeps heading in the right direction. And so... And obviously Tottenham, you know, in the sort of football food chain, Tottenham are bigger than Feyenoord, Tottenham are bigger than Arna Slot. But equally, I think given given that this is such a high-pressure decision for Slot, or for any other manager they're going to speak to this summer, 
that manager is going to want to know that they're making the right decision, that, that the risk that they're taking is worthwhile. So I do think that Tottenham have to sell to, I think Tottenham have to sell to candidates. It's not to do with like the brand name of Tottenham or the prestige of Tottenham or the size of Tottenham, because we know that those things are huge. What Tottenham have to sell to candidates, I think, and I, my sense is that this is where they're struggling, they have to sell the structure and they have to sell the strategy and they have to sell a sense that if you come here, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your reputation. It's, you you're going to be able to build your career here. You're going to be able to succeed. You're going to be able to, you know, they won't say this could be a stepping stone to other clubs because that's not how Tottenham works or that's not, you know, Tottenham are operating on a higher level than that, I think. But they have to be able to convince people that this is a worthwhile investment of your time at a moment when your career is right is, is really heading up in the right direction. And that, I think, is the challenge. Yeah, and if you've got a, a, a bit anything about you at all, you don't need that kind of babying and mollycoddling. I'll give you two examples. I'll give you two examples. Hello, um, Unai. I'm sorry, we're bottom of the table and it's Christmas, so obviously Aston Villa are going down and we're a big club. Um, can you think you can help us? Yeah, I'll have you. I'll have you in the European places within three months because I'm a really good manager and I'm not a scaredy cat and a baby. Um, then you've got uh, you've got Deserby. Um, so you've done very well, Roberto, other places. Brighton is a mid-table team, really. We're nice, nice club. Everyone likes us. Um, and um, we will sell two or three of our best players every season. Now, you fancy it? Oh, don't worry about that. I'm a really good football coach. I'll have you in Europe within three months. Boom, boom. Hanging about, cr cravenly begging people who may or may not be a success to come to the club. Give me a break. Honest to God, lads, give me a break. But the thing is, I uh, in in the piece I use you use the word egomaniac, and I say that that you know all managers, of oh, course. Sorry, that's they, coming they have, from me. That's a compliment. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. They all have huge egos. Of course, they do, and believe they could do any jobs. But they're still going to have a lot of options. And and like you you mentioned, Brighton. Brighton is a, an incredibly well structured, well organized club. They still need to know and believe in what they're being sold and it's just it's just hard to sell a vision when you don't when for instance you don't have a director of football and when you've been lurching from one thing to the next over the previous few years that that just is difficult i and, get that i get that and as and as much as we of course we think i think we can't have it we can't have it both ways because we can't sort of decry the arrogance of the premier league and how we think we're the center of the universe but then in the next breath say who is th who's this guy you know he comes in from japan to quote alex ferguson you know in this case who does he think he is staying in the eredivisie to not come to up to our league you know he's got every right to want to oh, stay no, and I, build absolutely what he's I, I, no, I totally agree with that and, I, and as you know i don't want to pick clubs being pulled apart for the sake of the bigger fish in the sea so all right then let's assume that it's all it's all hail fellow well met He's got a pay rise and may not have been the right person for Spurs anyway. He didn't want the gig. So that's, that for me counts him out anyway. So where do they turn to next? I look at the bookmakers, Jack, and I see that again, once again, nobody's inside five to one in the betting, which tells me they haven't got a Scooby. I think they have got a Scooby. Well, put it like this. I don't think Slot was the only candidate they were still talking to. I don't think they'd burnt their bridges with the other candidates. I gather that they were... So they, I gather they were continuing to do interviews. Um, in terms of other candidates who are still in contention, well, we, so in the piece this morning, we mentioned Ange Postacoglu, who has been of interest through the process. I think he... I think he ticks quite a lot of the boxes based on the fact that you know, at Celtic, he's shown not only that he can build a you know a good winning team that w wins titles, but also that he's. I mean, that's such a kind of 
public facing job you've got a huge fan base you need to win over you need to kind of convince them that everyone can pull in the same direction i think he's done that brilliantly brilliantly well past choglu it's great so, public relations as well he, hasn't he really good public yeah, relations so i think i think he he's an impressive candidate i still hear the name Luis Enrique being mentioned in some quarters. I know that, I mean, p- part of me does think with him, if they really, really wanted him, they could have done it two months ago. Because, you know, he's been out of work since the World Cup, uh, which was now a very long time ago. He was, I believe he resigned in December. So those are two Those are two names which I think are probably still in contention. The favourite now is Julian Nagelsmann. Yep, quite right. Tumbleweed. I just don't see how... I think after the breakdown, after the breakdown in, in relations or two weeks ago, I would. I mean, look, anything can happen in football. People patch these things up all the time. I would be. Sl- I would be. Su- I would be surprised. We were just talking about struct about you know uh, Tottenham's lack of structure or strategy, however you want to phrase it, compared to some of the other teams, uh, or to c- compared to other teams. And I know that there's a lot of interest in Roberto De Zerbi, who's clearly been somebody who has been high in Tottenham, prominent in Tottenham's thinking through this whole process. And yet, the more the more I think about it, I was thinking this this morning. Why, like Brighton have got arguably the best structure and clearest strategy in English football at the moment, with the exception of Manchester City, who are kind of their own unique thing. Why would you? It, it would be a big leap to swap the excellence of Brighton's structure and strategy for Tottenham, where the kind of thing you can say is there's question marks at the moment over their structure and strategy, wouldn't it? So I wonder. I mean, I. I genuinely don't know the answer to this, but I I wonder whether Deserby might be quite as gettable as I thought he was earlier in the summer. That one I do see. Um, you could definitely argue if you were Roberto Deserby that if you stay at Brighton, where you've got some brilliant players at the moment, all locked into a brilliant system, where people as previously unknown as a Stupinan emerge suddenly to be the best left-sided defender in the country, all that with due respect to Andy Robertson. Um, all that stuff is going on. You might very well say, if I can have another season like that, then I'll be getting a job offer from even above my, the Spurs pay grade. You'll be getting a job offers from AC Milan and and, and clubs like that. I, I totally well, get Well, also, Brighton are in Europe next season yep. on a really prosaic level and Spurs certainly won't be in the Europa League and we don't yet know, as it stands, they're not going to be even in the Conference League. I think they're outsiders to even make the Conference League. You're out, that's absolutely right. Okay, So let's assume that they never burnt the bridges with others and it's ongoing. Let's assume that this podcast isn't rendered redundant um, and outdated before it even gets on air. We then return to the perhaps the bigger issue in all of this um, after we talked about the club and Daniel Levy, my own feelings, you wasting um, work and all the rest of it. And that is that the bet between you two about whether we'll get to the famous, is it 72 days that it took them to a point? 72 Nuna. days in 2021. Well, as I understand it, today is day 60. So I I would say now, Charlie, you're, you've got the, it will go to bet, haven't you? You're on that side of it. I think I said it would be resolved before oh, it beats and, that record. And Jack says the opposite, yes? Yeah. yeah. I, make Jack, I make Jack slight favourite now. Yeah, well, I was I was worried this morning yesterday. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you never lose it. Yesterday, uh, but the, they they were paying out, as William Hill like to say, they were paying out. Exactly. They, but, uh, I, I'd mortgage, you know, I'd mortgage my future on this. We should add very much a sportsman's bet, but I think um, Wednesday, the seventh of June, is when it becomes seventy three days. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday, sixth of June is is the hinge day. That yeah, that levels it, and then Wednesday takes it over. So all to play for. 
I mean the thing, but the thing is as well. I was saying I was saying earlier to Jack and James, like the length of the that it's been going on for doesn't make it any more likely to conclude, and in fact, probably the opposite. But also, last time it went on until June twenty ninth, which seems crazy. But like, so we could still have another month and a bit of this, which God, I hope isn't the case. What I would say is that the big structural advantage that Tottenham have now compared to 2021 is that they started earlier they you know Conte left in late March Mourinho left in late April and that means that even though this does feel like it's been going on forever and it kind of has been going on forever um they're not they're not quite at they're not actually at crisis point yet even though it feels like they are because the reason they had the reason they had to appoint Nuno when they did is because the players were about to come back for pre-season the players are about to come back for preseason. You can't have players come back for preseason, and there's no, and there's literally no manager when there hasn't been a manager for months. And so that's why they were forced into this ish into this situation where they're like, "Oh my god, like quick, a uh, manager, him." Um, <laughs> and so, but Tottenham are not. You know, we we we've got to repeat this because it's worth it's worth dis- making this distinction between now and two years ago. Tottenham are not in this position yet. It's still the 25th of May. Players won't be coming back. I mean, players haven't even gone for preseason yet. They've still got Leeds United away on Sunday, and then some. Of them have got two international games so they won't be coming back for pre-season i imagine till late june before they fly off to australia in in july so tottenham are not yet tottenham are not yet anywhere near the point where they need to say right any manager get him in right now simply because the lads are coming back in tomorrow and we don't look embarrassed so we're not we're not at the kind of we're not at sort of nuno geddon point yet that is a that is a really good point because it is it is slightly misleading and deceptive, I guess, the length of search. The most important thing is, as Jack says, that you are you have someone in place before pre-season. I mean, I do remember that. It was crazy. It was literally the following week. I was thinking today, how many more wins would Mason have needed to get the job? I think if he'd... So in his first spell in 2021, he won four out of his six league games. I think if he'd done that this time, I think he'd have the job, wouldn't he? Or certainly would be, be in the conversation now, given what's happened. And is there even a world, is there even a world in which they go and smash leads, claim seventh, get European football, in which he comes back, in which he comes into the picture or comes back into the picture? Uh, look, nothing is impossible in football. I think that if they, if, if they were in any way considering Ryan Mason as, a, as a, a manager for a year or for three years, whatever, I think the body language and the emanations uh, coming out of the club would have been very different. He has been, let's be honest, he's not been given any encouragement to think that he's going to get that gig. Um, I mean, admittedly, they've kept you know their cards pretty close to their chest. Um, and we thought that might have been working out when it looked like they were going to get slot. Um, now that just looks like maybe all the, you can have your cards very close to your chest, but if they're all blank, you're not really gaining any advantage, are you? Hopefully, and I'm, I'm bouncing off the back of Jack's uh, statements there, hopefully they are further down the line with some of these other people um, than I imagined. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me are Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pittsbrook from The Athletic. The latter part of today's podcast is to deal with an email we had, which was very interesting, and we've been saving it for a few weeks till we had a space to do it. We didn't think we'd do it today because we'd be announcing Arna Slot as the new Spurs manager and getting into all of that, but we haven't been able to do that. Um, first of all, to reply to one or two of you up wondering if our new uh, All Singing, All Dancing email address, as we drag the podcast into the 20th century, never mind the 21st, um, is just manned by bots. We can't respond to everybody immediately because there's so much of it comes in, which is great. But we are picking and choosing, cherry picking um, the best or the ones that lead to the most interesting questions and answers. But so continue to email us with your thoughts. And of course, send voicemails. Somebody who's been waiting to hear their own voice because they sent a voice note um, for several weeks now while we find a slot, no pun intended, um, for this this question is Mark Cram. Mark, your moment in the spotlight has arrived. Here's what Mark had to say. Hi, guys. Long-term listener to The View from the Lane here. Been listening to you all the way back before Danny joined the podcast. Now, I'm sat here in the car recording this voice note to send to you. And actually, it's the car where I normally listen to your dulcet tones. And I particularly enjoy looking forward to my drive home on a Monday evening where I can listen to you dissecting the previous weekend's action. Now, it's been quite an up-and-down season at Spurs with lots of drama going on both on the pitch and behind the scenes at the club. And I have a two-part question to ask Charlie and Jack. I'm particularly interested to understand as paid journalists to follow the club, whether you prefer a season such as this, where there's probably lots to talk and write about, perhaps not so much about the football, or whether, going back to the Pochettino days, you prefer to cover us when we've been a bit more successful, challenging for the Premier League, and obviously getting to the Champions League final. And then linked to that, I'm really interested to understand how your loyalty to Spurs has developed as non-Spurs fans over the last few years. We all know, obviously, that Jack is a Man City fan and nobody really knows who Charlie supports. Um, But I wonder how your loyalty to the club and wanting to see them be successful has changed over the years. And I guess particularly to Jack, whether or not when Spurs have played Man City, that's led to some divided loyalty for you. Anyway, keep up the good work, guys. Love listening every week. Up the Spurs. Thank you, Mark. And that just goes to show how e- how easy it is to do um, a voice message to us. And the questions are really, really interesting. I want to take the second one first because I think um, there's the, it's, it's, it, we all know um, these seasons of drama are easier to do, but probably less enjoyable than when the team is playing well because, you, you know, your job is to watch them playing well. But I'm really interested in what he said there. Um, you, you're both, you know, top of your professions um, you came to the Athletic because you were the cream of the cream, but you're working a beat which isn't necessarily, you know, you're not like the local local news reporter reporting, in your case, on Manchester City, and Charlie will pay respect to your mystery allegiances um, while we can. Um, but it's been years now, and you've had people come and go at the club. I'm a, I'm a relative new club comer to you. Daniel Levy remains a constant. I'll start with you, Jack, if I may. Um, it's a great question. How do you deal with um, having to be so intimate and sometimes passionate about Tottenham when it's not actually the, your particular skin in the game? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something I think about a lot. I think the, I think ultimately it's something that you you develop over time. I certainly feel like, you know, I remember being, I've been covering Tottenham. So I certainly do, you know, much more focused on Tottenham now than I was at the start. But I've been covering Tottenham in some form since Harry Redknapp was manager, back when the press conferences were at, uh, were in Chig- in Chigwell at the Old Spurs Lodge. Um, and over that period of time, I feel like I have developed 
and I would certainly never claim to be on a level with a fan or I would never say it's like a fan, but I've definitely developed a level of emotional investment in Tottenham. Uh, I, you know, broad, and that's simply because, you know, you get to know, you get, you know, you get to know lots of fans, you get to know the players to varying extents, the managers, people who work at the club, people are, you know, people in the sort of ecosystem, whether that's friends, family, agents of, uh, of players and managers as well. Um, and over time you do develop a bit of emotional investment. You know, I do, I do want Tottenham to win. I want them to be successful. I, it's more fun to be covering a successful team you know I've never I've never I've never really enjoyed anything in my career as much as that time at the end of the 1819 season you know uh, Manchester City Dortmund City Ajax uh, the final really felt like you know Tottenham was the centre of the football universe at that point and the whole Mauricio Pochettino era I loved covering. That said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lie, like covering a crisis is exciting in its own way. You know, it can, you know, the fact is we're journalists first, we're not Tottenham fans. And whether that's, whether that's, you know, seeing the team collapse at Newcastle United the other week, or just the kind of constant off-pitch drama, whether that's managers, direct, managing directors of football, whatever else, you know, that is, as a reporter, your job is to cover that stuff. And I'm not going to pretend like it's not, on some level kind of engaging and you know and a really interesting thing to cover when when all that stuff is going on um but uh, so yeah I, like i like i said i would never i would never claim to be kind of a sort of quasi fan or whatever but on some level i do have an emotional investment i want them to succeed and if they you know i'm not going to say it doesn't ruin my weekend if they lose but I would always, I would always rather they won than lost. And one more question to you, then I'll ask Charlie exactly the same questions. Um, the, 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 I get that everything you said there makes perfect sense. Do you ever get to the stage, as I think, died in the wall, lifelong Spurs fans like me do, where some things happen on and off the pitch, particularly in the last six months? Do you ever get embarrassed by Tottenham? No, I don't get. No, embarrassed isn't isn't the word that I'd use. I get aggravated by them because I see them making whether that's just playing really bad so you know at various points this year they've they've really annoyed me so I thought the teams just off the top of my head I mean look they were horrific at Newcastle that was like I was I couldn't believe how bad they were I have to say I thought that the the team selection at Sheffield United when they got knocked out of the FA Cup was disgraceful or really awful arrogant team selection which is you know as someone who wants as someone who as a journalist really wants to cover Tottenham being in the FA Cup final I was really annoyed as well you know even aside from the fact that they uh, uh, even aside from like the the kind of emotional wanting them to win, which is a separate matter, uh, and equally some of the off field stuff. You know, joining the whether it's joining the Super League, I think they've you know cl- clearly I think they've handled the Parachi situation very badly this year. M- the managerial situation doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. Is something we talked about on the first half of the show. Um, so yeah, embarrassed. I don't feel embarrassment because it's not it's not my family. It's not my club. But I do get. I, I do kind part of me does get a bit annoyed when I think they're they're making bad decisions. Charlie, you also have to um be pressed up, you know, close enough to feel the body heat of Spurs, the club, its support as well, of course. Um without being a Spurs fan, how's it changed for you over the years and where are you now with it? I think it's really interesting because it's probably one of the biggest preoccupations that um like listeners or readers or whoever have about the people that cover their club their club 
they really, really want to know who they support and it's really, really important to them. And I, and I totally understand that. But I also think it, it's such an interesting area because it then raises questions about like what you want from your reporters. Like, do you want them to be, to have biases? Because I think the most important thing for someone covering any club is that they're impartial and that they're fair um, and that they don't allow sort of what they want or sort of their passions sort of cloud what they're seeing in front of them. What I try and do is be fair and as knowledgeable as possible. And I think most people are very, you know, when you're going to like every home game, most away games, every press conference, you're working your ass off week in, week out on the club. To me, that's the most important thing. Um, and I think it's possible to... What I've always tried to do since taking the job is have a real understanding of what the supporters feel about any given issue. I'm not a supporter myself, so I don't have the same instinctive or this is how I feel. But I think you can still have a real sense of what the issues are at stake for fans. And obviously you do that by speaking to as many of them as possible. I'm lucky that a lot of my closest friends are Spurs fans. So I've had that not only for the few years but in front of my club but I've been having that since I was a kid and I had you know Spurs fans in my ear about this player and that player or whatever so I think I've always had a pretty good sense of what it is uh you know what the most pressing issues are for Tottenham then on the issue of sort of how I feel about the club I think it's impossible to be so close and not develop a level of affinity because as Jack said you're it's it's humans it's relationships and so you get to know people you get to really like people both inside the club and around the club and around the players and then you can't help but become engaged in it and like jack i have times when yeah i'm I'm not it's not the same thing as support you know it's not the same emotions as supporters but there are times when you are just like why have you done that or why aren't you doing this or whatever it is, and and you do become invested. And on the um, the question about you know what sort of a season, you know what's better when Spurs are doing really badly or really well, I think the reality is extremes are are good. <laughs> you know that the worst thing is sort of mediocrity. As a journalist, I'm talking about here, the worst thing would be if Spurs this season had just been sort of pootling along in fifth or sixth and. There weren't really extremes either way. That that would be the worst thing. Um, what you want is, and and I think as well, what's good is variety. So I'm I'm sure Jack's had points as well where he's been like, could they please stop doing silly things, or could this please stop be a crisis or a bad performance? Because from a journalistic point of view, it's not that interesting. We're running out of ways to say the same thing. So I think um, both, in a way, have their benefit. You know, if things are going really well. That's brilliant because you've got a really engaged fan base who are just desperate to hear. You know, you know what it's like when your team's doing well. You just want to bask in it. In the old days when the newspapers ran things, um, you know, Spurs won a cup. I'd go and buy all seven national newspapers because you want to read the praise in slightly different prose. Exactly. Can I say? Can I say one last thing as well? The only and the, what what can be really hard with, and I'm, I've noticed this uh, the last. few few weeks is when things get bad things get really toxic as well on things like social media they become so polarized and that 
can be fairly unenjoyable as well because it gets to the point where and I've had I've noticed this particularly in the last couple of months you know you say anything and then it's kind of like yeah but what about this what about that and it's just because fans are so disillusioned and that's not a huge amount of fun and and, and that was the, actually the, the very link in the chain I was about to add to and and that is that um Everything you've said has been very interesting, and thank you for that. Um, and all of this has been complicated because this was ever thus. Who knows who ex newspaper journalist used to support, but used to write extensively about why football club. But the availability of everybody on social media, all three of us are very much on social media, very open on social media. You know, try and respond to as many as we can. Don't close off our responses and all the rest of it. And the, the problem with that, of course, now is that as people in a crisis take up more and more polarized positions, you see it in politics, you see it in relationships, and you see it in football, um, you get to that, the thing now where you say something nice about performance or about a player or about anything, and either A, you're sticking up for Daniel Levy in some way, or B, you're using precious space, broadcasting space, Twitter, whatever, where you could be slagging off Daniel Levy or Enoch. Um, and, of course, for those people who are very strongly Enoch out, very strongly Levy out, absolutely respect their position, um, have seen a general drift towards that position, which we've reported on here on the podcast, just be careful with people, though. They are still – we as Spurs fans have so, so much more in common with each other than we have uh, in, in enmity or conflict – um, you know, you may be Enoch out, somebody else may, may be say you know, that they've done a reasonable job and carry on. But that's not a place where you need to be getting toxic with each other because you're still Spurs fans at heart. And at the back of that as well, bear in mind that people who occasionally get on to me about not being enough of one thing or another, bear in mind I've been supporting the club for over half a century and I reserve the right to support them in any way that I feel fit. You do it your way. I'll do it my way, and where we'll come together is in Come On You Spurs. Charlie and Jack have got a huge piece, <laughs> replacing the piece that they had about Arthur <laughs> Slot coming. They've got a piece about why Arthur Slot didn't come. I was laughing, what... yeah, just changing it to what Arthur <laughs> Slot would have brought to Spurs. <laughs> or then my second offering is why Arthur Slot is perfect for Feyenoord, actually. And just yeah. control effing Tottenham, change all that to make it fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll, try, we'll try and see what Ruud van Nistelrooy has to think about all of this as well. Um, all of that, of course, means you have to subscribe to The Athletic. And I say have to, as though it's a chore. It's actually, and I'm going to say this for the umpteenth time this season, it is the sporting bargain that's available to you. Um, if you sign up now, you can read all of the incredible Spurs coverage, as well as this intensity of, of, of coverage about many other clubs and about the game in general, both in England and beyond in Europe and beyond that as well. So all you need to do to partake of the bargain is to go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod, sign up right now for $1.99 a month, two quid a month for the first 12 months. It is, I genuinely believe, as someone who's just renewed all their sports contracts on the television, um, I genuinely believe it is the sports bargain um, anywhere out there. Uh, Once again, that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you for listening. We'll be back for our final episode of the season. We'll probably take a little holiday after that next week. That should be a belter. Don't miss that. God bless you all. The Athletic.